July 26, 2016, a lecture discussion 245 on the Book of Romans. I did a lot of Brexit stuff here in the pregame. Uh, you folks on the Internet, I will do more of that when we return on the 10th of July. So uh, don't feel like you've missed out. I just uh, I didn't want to do it as comprehensively as I will here in the near, near future. Once again, there's no surprise, the components of our latest section have accumulated to the point where everyone has lost track, which, as you know, is my diabolical plan. I uh, bury the class in details until everybody glazes over, and carpet is soaked in drool, and then I select out a few elements that I believe to be the most substantial, leaving behind a mound that can never be reconciled. Rinse, repeat. That's what I do. I've been doing it for 25 years or better. Ask all my high school students if you can find them. They're all in their 50s now. <laughs> that makes me happy. They mocked me. Now they are me. So, actually, I, may, I bet you it's back. Let's see. i got to think about how old. I, ooh, it's 30 years now. I was teaching high school in 1985. Huh? Louis Mayer is in his 50s. He turned 50 this month. There you go. Aha. I was a young teacher. I really was. Huh? <laughs> no, I had him in the ninth grade. Had the biggest hands of any basketball player I ever saw and still does. My goodness. Catch a ball in the air off the bounce. He'd catch it directly. I uh, scored a lot of points with that kid. Made, made a lot of money. All right. Where was I? I'm doing this on purpose, bringing this mound and putting it there, just all of this stuff. I do, it's not accidental in case you were considering otherwise. That nobody here is doing that. You've been here too long. I'm speaking mainly to the vast Internet audience that gets frustrated with me for going through, putting a bunch of stuff on the board and then not going through each and every item as if I'm some kind of, uh, what do they call that, AD, what is that? Attention deficit disorder, uh, micromanaging guy. I am not that. I... I have uh, very little of that inside of me. So, they get mad, but I'm letting you know that I'm doing it on purpose. And I want the vast Internet audience to know that, vast being a relative term. All of you say that today, uh, uh, you've told me in the past that whenever I do this, that you've called it Selection Sunday. So here I am again. I have the possessor of the holy dry erase marker of Japanese origin and I'm going to select out and reveal those items I think are the most con consequential. Doesn't mean they're the most consequential. That doesn't neither make them that or disqualifies them as such. They're merely on my list, and list makers are going to list. Okay, we've been about harmonizing Matthew 9, 20 through 26, Mark 5, uh, 25 through 34, and Luke 8, 41, 56. We've been reconciling that with Numbers 15, 32 through 41, Deuteronomy 21, 18 to Deuteronomy 22, and then Deuteronomy 22, uh, 1 through 12, along with Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. That's what we have been doing. And, of course, that is the two daughters of Israel that uh, are healed with the talent of God, if you will, in the mix. That is the man of Belial in Proverbs. That's the man gathering wood, and that is the rebellious son. And then this list in Deuteronomy 22 that leads to the blue tassels. So that's pretty much what's on our board. Let me give it to you so that you have it, and we'll be about trying to take care of these items today. So man of Belial, 
very important to know that Belial is a name for Satan, just like Azazel. So this is a man of Satan, which tells you immediately who he probably is. I have a man gathering wood. And I'm saying to you that there is a, an inseparable, inseparable relationship between the two of those as well as the rebellious son or the rebel. So I have the man of Satan and the rebel. Both of those are similar names. The, the mystery is this man gathering wood. Then, of course, here comes Proverbs. Uh, oops. Hands that shed. Proverbs 6. Hands that shed innocent blood. Oops. Having trouble remembering. Innocent blood, which implies children. Add to that, of course, once you ever get into the killing of children, you are at Leviticus 22, and that is 20 verse 2 through 20 verse 5, and that is Moloch, or the priests of Moloch. That's one of their characteristics. All of that then gets you to blue tassels. So those, that's my first list. That's group one. If you will. And blue tassels also talent. Where can I put that? I'll put that up here, I guess. Uh, this would be a good place. And seat seat. And that, of course, is the fringe, as most of you know. The blue tassels are a memorial for all generations of Israel. And it's not been, by the way, lost on the numerologists what all of this means. I'll get to that in a minute. The, uh, the tallet is, and the seat seat or the fringe are the tassels, if you will. Well, hang on a second. Let me just set that aside. But uh, I'm going to designate this group one, uh, because, uh, it's in the, it's the Old Testament portion. And so for obvious reasons, uh, uh it's going to be group one. So. Group two, the New Testament group, because it's in the New Testament. Old Testament group, because it's in the Old Testament. New Testament, where can you get insight like this? How does he do it? I know. Okay. Here I'm now with the bleeding daughter, or the bleeding woman, but Christ calls her a daughter. Very important to know that. Two, the Resurrected or the dead daughter, if you will. I would say dead. I guess I can write that. And both of them have this 12, bleeding for 12 years and 12 years old. Then, um, I guess I could put the 12 down here. Why don't I do that? Makes my list look more important. Then uh, Christ talks about his power going out of him. That's really, really uh, difficult to explain. What am I miss? Oh, who touched me, he also says. Also, very difficult to explain, but we will do our best. And then the whole truth, the woman has, it's bleeding, has a whole truth that she must tell Christ. He pulls her out and says, 
Essentially, you have to say what you're doing and why you're doing it in front of this multitude. Something that she wanted to avoid. Okay, here we go. Ugh. Am I out of the camera, you think? Maybe I could do the whole thing about from here. The ruler of the synagogue is involved in this, and he ends up, as you remember from last week, confessing that Christ is God. Then this incredible statement of Christ, Talitha, uh, Kuma, Kumi. Um, that means, most say that that's Arabic for damsel, they will tell you, but you cannot remove it from the fact that the talit is so involved in these events because of these blue tassels. Uh, and down the stretch, we're going to deal with someone says, that, by the way, solves the issue between James and Romans. When you recognize that someone says is usually a Pharisee, if not always a Pharisee. So a Pharisee comes up to the ruler of the synagogue, if you will, uh, someone that hates Christ comes up to the ruler of the synagogue and says, don't bother the teacher, your daughter's dead. Now, what was his motive for that? Very important to understand that. That happens in James. Someone says, and then, of course, that's how it's solved. And then she's commanded to eat something. Christ commands that they give the girl something to eat. He resurrected her what? Hungry? How do you explain? What did she eat? If he resurrects us, are we all, when we're all resurrected from the dead, are, all, are we all going to want a hamburger? I mean, what's going on? He commands them to give her something to eat. What is that? That's really a very interesting thing. And then my favorite, of course, is the flute players. They are obviously evil. There's your lesson on, on woodwinds versus brass right there. Trumpet players, always good. Flute players, clearly evil. Okay. I think that's doctrinal. Now, I have also intentionally omitted... Deuteronomy, for folks on the vast internet audience, Deuteronomy 22's list, that's the ox, the sheep, do not hide yourself, the women's garments and the men's garments. By the way, okay, let me deal with this a second. It does not mean the men are wearing women's clothing and the men are wearing men's clothing. All you have to remember about that period of time is that they all wore essentially the same kind of clothing. I said that to the the class here in the post game. I got to get it in the internet. So all you folks on the internet know that they were indistinguishable in their clothing. It's very practical clothing. So it can't be talking about that. What is it talking about? It, your choice is military or religious. And we'll get to that. We'll solve that at some point when we get back to Deuteronomy 22. I'm leaving it off on purpose today. You also have the bird's nest and the parapet walls. Seeds and wool and linen. So I guess I kind of included Deuteronomy 22 this way. But for today, we're going to set it aside. Let the record show that no one protested me setting aside Deuteronomy 22. No protestants. Okay. Obviously, a large part of this mystery that I've just put on the board is the talent and the seat seat. Or if you will, uh, the Torah 613. The Jews, and you can get a list. I have a list of every single law in the Old Testament. And they believe 613 is correct. They're not going to like me very much here in a few minutes. 
but that's okay. I'm not universally liked. Okay, I'm not liked at all by anybody. So it's not that big a deal to me anymore. I'm not nearly the sensitive, warm, fuzzy person I was, say, last week. But I, I'll say, I'll go ahead and say to them, the 613 in the Torah um, is accurate in some sense, but um, I'm concerned about it in a minute. But what I mean by this is that the blue tassels attached to the talit, or the talit, which is a prayer shawl that is symbolic of the tent of Moses, which is the same as the tabernacle of Moses. In other words, the talit that is over their head and has the fringe has a representation to the tent of Moses. It's a portable small version of the tent of Moses, if you want to think of it that way. So you see, I hope you see, this relationship forming between the Solomonic Temple, which is patterned after the tent of Moses. It's designed as a representative of the tent of Moses. The tent of Moses or the Solomonic Temple are also what? Representative of the real one that is where? In the heavenly estate. So I have the model, the model, if you will, or the original, and then I have the tent of Moses, and then I have the Solomonic Temple. I also now have the talent. All of them have a relationship. So see that forming, if you will. Now, once you've got that, add, add this. Paul and Peter describing their bodies as the tent of Moses, or the tabernacle, or the temple of Solomon. That means your body. Clarence Larkin probably did the definitive work on this back in the 19, early 1900s, among others now. Second Peter 1.4, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent or my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. He's saying, I have to, my body's going to die, and I have to take my tabernacle off. What he's saying is, who is he? That's a profound scripture, frankly. He doesn't describe himself as his body, does he? He describes himself as taking off his body. So he is not his body. That's a theme of scripture. Substance dualism, right? Knowing that shortly I must take, I must put off my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus has shown me. Second Corinthians 5-4. For we that are in this tabernacle, in this tent, do groan. Second Corinthians 5-1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. God has a replacement that is the real thing, if you will. So the Holy Spirit through Paul and through Peter makes it crystal clear that our bodies, our earthly physical bodies, have a deep relationship to the tent that Moses was hauling around through the wilderness and setting up. That's important to know. Paul brings this up, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do, don't you know that you, your body, are the tabernacle of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So, again, this intrinsic connectivity between the tent of Moses, the temple of Solomon, the physical human body, and the Talit prayer song. And, by the way, very, very few people know what 1 Corinthians 3.16 is really talking about. They think it means to stop smoking. Good idea to stop smoking. But you have to understand that you're, uh, the design, we have gates. You know. 
you have gates that information comes into. One thing the temple of Solomon is defined by is the entrances, the gates. Okay. You need to know that. We don't know, and we don't know that we don't know, that our body has this representation to the tent of Moses. Now, therefore, the man gathering wood, numbers, let me put him on the board. He belongs up here today. Uh, 32 through 41, I hope that's right. The man gathering wood, who intends to activate a great evil upon the nation of God, but is instead executed. That guy, Numbers 15, 32 through 41, he's executed, and the talents of the Jewish people are redesigned. God redesigns them. He adds blue tassels, blue fringes, and says to have those blue fringes for all generations. So that prayer shawl has a representation to the one in heaven, the heavenly tabernacle or the heavenly temple, has a representation to our bodies, has a representation to the tabernacle or the tent of Moses. In fact, our bodies are called a tent that dissolves. The talent is redesigned because of this man who's gathering wood. So now, please understand that this makes him incredibly significant. I challenge you to find other people in Scripture who have done something that makes that results in God modifying anything, for that matter. Certainly, this prayer shawl that has all of the significance. What is the obvious connection between what he did and why God modifies the talent with the blue tassels? The personal replica of the tent of Moses is ordered to be modified forever with blue coloring and tassels, blue thread, blue tassels. Because of this, the man who was gathering wood and Israel's uh, inclination to harlotry. In other words, God identifies, he says, this has to be done because your inclination to harlotry, which is paganism, which brings me back to Moloch and killing babies, killing children. (coughs) <coughs> that is what defines Moloch. Can we assume, just for the sake of argument, that Israel was on the verge of, of shifting away from Moses and going towards the wood-gatherer man? I think we can. We're going to see that in the Korah rebellion immediately after this. Probably so, huh? Okay. Now, ever since this defining moment in Jewish history, which the defining moment is the execution of the gatherer and the addition of the blue tassels, the Jews have believed these blue tassels have a relationship to the Torah 613. Hopefully, I have one person left following all of this. Numbers 15, 39. The the 613 are the commandments of God. There's actually a Jewish word for it, and I won't give it to you. Look it up. It starts with an M. has a Z in it. A V, an O, a T. Anyway, 1539. You shall have the tassel that you will see them 
and remember the 613 commandments. That is how they translate Numbers 15.39. So the zitzit, which is the fringe, has eight strings and five knots. That's 613. The numerical Hebrew numerical value of zitzit is 600. So therefore you get 613. Got all that? If you do, you're the only one in the audience or the Internet, whichever will apply. Don't worry, I will beat you to death with it later as time goes by until you've got it, which you'll pretend to have to stop me from talking about it. That's how we roll here. Just make things fun. One of the great mysteries of the New Testament is the 153 fish. John says, if you can't figure out that Jesus Christ is God based on what I have told you in my gospel book that I have written through the Holy Spirit, and I gave you these seven incredible miracles that you cannot even believe how complicated they are. But I gave them to you to prove that only Christ is God. But that didn't seem to work. That's not what he says. But if you need one more thing, and he, by the way, does it on a Passover pattern, so the where I'm headed here, has a Passover um, template. He says, I'll give you 153 fish. There you go. Now, that settles it. See? And it does. I don't have time to do it today, but it does. It proves Christ is God. But you should notice that 153 does not go into 613. But 153 does go into 612 four times. So that's why people don't like me in certain communities. We'll get into where I get 612 someday when I feel it's safe. Probably I won't put it on the Internet. But just for now, no, just for fun, 153 fish at 612 is really close. Exactly. Four times. Okay, now some Jewish philosophers, philosophy, if you will, adds that the talent is also portraying the light of God. Not just the tent of Moses, but the light of God, which would be the primeval light, the original light, the light of life, which is in all of creation. That's what they will tell you. The talent has a representation or a relationship to the primeval light, the light that gives life. And Christ refers to himself at the light, as the light of life. When the prostitute is brought before him and the attempt to stone her was made, he says then, I am the light of life. And everyone who heard him say that would know that he is referring to the Talit. And we have somewhat determined, I guess partially determined might be more appropriate, from our brief sojourn so far into the bleeding woman and the dead girl, well, what we can do, at least, we can conclude, I say without fear, that someone will argue against us successfully, that the talent of Christ and the blue tassels will stop bleeding. They will stop the life blood, Leviticus 17.11, the atonement blood. In, in God says, don't drink the blood. The life is in the blood, and he calls it the atonement blood. Leviticus 17.11. And we now know, because we have read the passage, this woman comes up and touches that blue tassel on the end of the tallet, and, we, and she, her blood flow, her bleeding is stopped. 
So we know the talent and the tassel have something to do with the lifeblood. We also know <coughs> that the talent, just like Elijah, I'm going to make the case in the weeks to come, was wrapped around this dead girl. That's why he says, number eight here, Talitha Kuma. And so he's raising the talent just like Elijah did. So now we know the talent has something to do with resurrection as well. And obviously, he, he puts it at the center of these two events. And he also puts it at Numbers 15, 32 through 41, right? So he purposes us uh, to ask this. He adds it. He adds the talent to both of these events. That's the best way to say it. He wrapped around the girl and he let the other woman touch him and it has something to do with stopping bleeding and resurrecting from death. It also has something to do with what's happening at Numbers 15, the man gathering wood. It's at the center of it. It's, everything is focused around it, if you will. He added it in. He purposes for us to ask, why did he do this? Why? Clearly, he could have healed and cleansed the bleeding woman for 12 years, the woman bleeding for 12 years, without his talent. Didn't need it. He's God. But he wants it. It's his plan. And he could have raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead without wrapping her in it. It seems superfluous, doesn't it? He could just do this. He doesn't even need to snap his fingers. He needs to think it. But he has this outward demonstration, taking off his tent of Moses, if you will, wrapping the girl and calling that talent to rise up with that girl alive. And then he says, give her something to eat. She's obviously famished here. Couldn't he have, again, filled her up with something to eat? Of course he could. But he doesn't. All of that has a meaning for us. We can figure it out, what he's trying to say to you, what he's trying to say to me. And I should add that it was very common practice. Every Jew did this almost without, without exception. When they had a sick child, they wrapped that sick child in what? What do you think? What do you think? Come on, you can do it. In a talent. And they did it because they believed the talent served as an intensifying vehicle for their prayers, an amplifier, if you will, if you want to think of it that way. I need to get rid of that phrase, if you will, too. If you will, by the way, both have got to go, or I have to keep going with them, pretending that I'm not doing it accidentally. But the Jews believed that if they wrapped the talent around the sick child, their prayers would have more power, that God would hear them. Now think about the logic of that. Do we repeat this kind of thinking today? Do people buy devices that they hold or they put themselves in believing that God will hear them? How good is God's hearing? This is an obvious question. So, making your prayers, if I pray louder, is that going to work? And I've had people throughout my so-called career come up to me and say, if you would just pray in this fashion, with these words, at this volume, God will answer you. And he's, he's right there. He's got a decibel meter. And he's going, okay, you're, you know, you're coming out at about, you know, 48 dB. You got to get up to 60, or I'm not going to give you that Mercedes Benz. That was a complicated joke. You have to be old to know it. 
All the old people laughed. Okay. Anyway, that's ridiculous. I hope you know that it's ridiculous. But the Jewish people understood the talent had some some meaning that they didn't necessarily grasp and they would wrap their, chick, their sick children in it and assume that the, their prayers were more so powerful when they had done that. So add that component to this mystery. Also note the Jews are buried in their talents with their talents. They're present at the sickness of children and at death. Not just present, prominent there. That would be better. So to repeat, the talents are representative of the tent of Moses. The tent of Moses is assigned symbolically to our physical bodies, our garment, if you will. This body is a garment for what? My mind, my soul, my spirit. It's a housing. It's a tent. And I use it to express myself so that you can understand me. I know understanding me is not simple. You will get a special award for understanding me. Special doesn't necessarily imply good. As an aside, the garments or the clothing of Israel, Deuteronomy 29.5, did not age, did not become worn for 40 years. So what's the meaning of that? How does this apply to the man who came to the wedding feast with his own covering garment and was cast out? He didn't have the garment that God intended for him to have. He had his, a different one. How does this apply to Adam and Eve at Genesis 3.21? Questions for you to think about while I move along. Being a highly trained professional, I'm not going to succumb to the temptation and wander off into those questions. You can feel free to do that. Okay, lifeblood. Lifeblood is leaving this woman for 12 years. She touches the blue tassel of God. Did she know this was God? You answer that to yourself. Her bleeding immediately stops. Luke 8.44. It says the fountain of her blood dried. Mark 5.29. So immediately stopped. The fountain of her blood dried. God wills that she then confess the whole truth to everyone there. And he starts that by saying, who touched me? He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. For goodness sakes, he knows who touched him. He has complete understanding of this process. In fact, he is in charge of the process. And by the way, did she actually touch Christ? She touched his fringes or his tassels, the blue ones. He said, someone touched me, Luke 8, 46. And the woman comes forward. So he's making her come forward by saying these things. It's important that she come forward. So he's bringing her forward. She's responding to his questions by coming forward. He's asking questions. Who touched me? And everybody's going, I'm me. I didn't do it. I'm not. They think they're in trouble. I didn't do it. But yes, who touched me? And she starts, someone touched me. And the woman comes forward in great fear, falls down before Christ and tells the whole truth. And it says, Mark 5.33, she gives the reason why she touched the hem of his garment. Or the hem of his talent. Luke 8.47. She had a reason. And he makes her, if you will put it that way, gosh, 
get rid of, if you will, that's another box. She had a reason. And God brings her out in front of this multitude. She doesn't want them to know her. Is she disguised? I believe she is. Would they have known her if she was not disguised? I think they would have. We'll cover that in a few weeks. But God makes her come and declare before God himself and this assembled multitude her reason for touching the talent fringe. She has a reason. And Christ says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. How's that? That's pretty good. Harder to get better than that. Consider the eternal implication when God, God accepts your faith. That's great news. He accepts your belief. He assigns it to your wellness and grants you peace. Status of peace with Him. No longer are you His enemy. We are enemies of God when we are not saved by His blood. So she now is in a position of salvation. What did she believe? Well, for a beginning, she believed that that blue tassel of Christ was the only blue tassel of its kind. She had to believe that. Now, how long has she been sick? She spent a lot of money. Where did she get all this money? She has a pretty good education in theology. Where did she get all of this education in theology? Christ all the time is always around who? Women that are in what kind of condition? Typically, they are prostitutes in trouble. This is a woman with a lot of money that has access to physicians. Who are the physicians? And her knowledge of Scripture is ridiculously high. How did this woman get like this, I'm asking you? So she believes that the blue tassel of Christ was the only one of its kind. By that I mean she believed the blue tassel of Christ would stop the bleeding. She's confident, not just confident. Maybe she's just going to hope on a prayer. Maybe she's... You know, running a, going to catch lightning in a bottle, taking a flyer. Maybe you can make that case for the thief on the cross, but the thief on the cross said to him, you're the one that remembers everybody. I know it's you. For that he's saved. He identifies Christ as God. I'm saying to you that thief on the cross has the, a very similar moment than this woman, this woman with going after that blue tassel. She believes this is God wearing this talent. And in order to have that put together, you've got to really understand Numbers 15, 32 through 44, or 41, and she's got to really understand Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 22, 12. And I think she's got it. And she also understands blue. We'll get to that in a few minutes, and mostly next uh, time we meet. On the 10th Internet audience. Where am I? I'm drinking medicine. I hope I'm talking fast. She believed the blue tassel of Christ would stop her bleeding, which makes me consider if she had tried this before with other blue tassels. Probably had. There's always somebody who says, if you, if you send me an envelope in the mail with a prayer request in it, I'll put it to my forehead after I've taken all the money out of the envelope. By the way, you need to send enough money that I'll be able to put it to my forehead. You know where they find those envelopes? In the dumpsters with your prayer. The money's gone. The prayers are still in the dumpster. But people actually send, mostly people my age, actually send money to these guys and women 
who are saying their prayers are more powerful than yours. They're an amplifier. And you've got to pay them to get that little extra boost in wattage so that God hears it. And we actually send them money because what are Christians? Dumb as rocks, as hammers. I mean, we're just dumb. Doctrinally so stupid, it's astonishing. Does God love us anyway? Yes. Does he feel sympathy for us? Yes. Is he proud of us? I don't think so. Good luck with that. It's like the dog. I was listening to a radio guy the other day. He said, uh, he said I called a, some guy called a sports radio station. This made me laugh. He said, uh, when he was a young man, a guy, an, an older farmer, told him, said, son, if you go and grab a skunk by the tail and you pick him up quickly, get his feet off the ground, he can't squirt you. That's the truth, he told the kid. He can't get you. But you got to be fast. You grab him by the tail, get his feet off the ground. And the guy said, I'd, I'd like to call a national radio show and say, that isn't true. And, and his point, he said he grabbed the skunk. He said, I never, I never had anything so awful in my life. He said, it burns. It takes weeks. Tomato baths. It's a mess. And, of course, he goes to the farmer. I think the story went. He goes to the farmer and he says, you lied to me and I hate you. He never spoke to the farmer again after this event. Essentially, the farmer said, well, you weren't fast enough. Okay? Make the application to the church. You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't send me enough money. Same scam, same skunk, same smell. Does God look at you and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, got, you got skunk smell all over you? I have something that will clean it up. But don't pick up any more skunks. Figure it out. Okay. How do I know about skunks? <laughs> we'll get into that later. Anyway. <laughs> don't think that I'm ahead of you by far, by very much. I'm not. Look behind. I'm probably back there. <laughs> Those of you on the Internet, Bill the Cow asked, what, asked me what the name of the farmer was. <laughs> as if I would have intimate knowledge of that, as if I was the one that called that radio station. I deny all of this. I have plausible deniability at best in and, and I don't have a southern accent. So, oh, never mind. I could have done it. Okay. Somewhere in here is where I was. The lady has got this affliction for 12 years. She tried everything she could. None of it worked. There's a great lesson. Try all this nonsense. You're going to learn none of it works. It's only one thing that saves you, only one thing that stops the bleeding, one thing that one person that will resurrect you. So she tried it all. All her money was spent. Where did she get that money? Luke 8.43. I submit that as in the case of the 12-year-old girl that is dead, the bleeding and dying, but eventually dead really soon after she's, after Christ is notified, the bleeding woman is also dying. Both daughters are dying. One dies in the story, the other does not. Actually, neither die in the story. Is that true? Yes. 
What time does the 12-year-old girl die, do you think, in this story? I always want to know what time things happened. I have a woman that is bleeding and she's dying. I have a 12-year-old girl that is dying. I want to know what time of the day the 12-year-old girl died. I want to know then what time of the day was the woman bleeding for 12 years? What time was she healed? Just wondering about that. Would Christ have put them right on top of each other. I think he did. Anyway, the bleeding woman has a reason. She's got a reason. Bible tells us a reason. Thought it all through for reaching for the blue tassel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else she tried had saved her. She has no money left. Hope was surely gone now. Death was at her door, but Christ is nearby. Now notice she doesn't sit by the road as the lepers or the blind people do. That's not her plan. It's not her reason. It's not how she's worked it out. Instead, she goes for the blue tassel. She's singularly focused on the blue tassel. And this woman, is. she makes it clear. In fact, it's emphasized that this is what she's doing in Mark and Matthew. She has to intimately have, she has to know Numbers 15, 32 through 41, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 22, 12. She knows the totality of the meaning of the blue tassels. That's why she's going for it. It's not a flyer. It's not luck. It's not coincidence. It means something to her. She's worked it out. She's spent all her money. She's tried everything. Process of elimination. Something's going to work. Something's going to stop the bleeding. And she believes that the blue tassels of Christ's garment were greatly significant and would stop the lifeblood from leaving her. And she was right. Nailed it. Boom, shakalakalaka. Winner, winner. Oh, we have Kentucky Fried Chicken today, don't we? Gosh, I shouldn't have said that. When will I learn? She believed that the blue tassels of Christ's garment, garment would stop the lifeblood, and she's right. And Christ himself validates her premise. He said, who touched me? He said, essentially, who touched my talit? Mark 5.30 makes it clear he's talking about his talit. Who touched my talit? Creator God makes it plain to all who are surrounding him, that's a multitude, that a bleeding woman has fought her way through them and for one purpose and one purpose only, to touch his blue tassel. Now, who wrote this? God, Christ wrote it. He's the Word. When he says blue tassel, somebody touched my blue tassel, he cannot help himself from knowing that that's Numbers 15. That is Deuteronomy 22. By the way, that's everywhere this blue thread is in the Bible. We'll get to that as we go through this again. God made it plain that that's what he was doing. And then he stops, if, if you want to think of it that way, it's a humanistic way of thinking about it, and brings this woman out, and in doing so, he unravels the mystery for all of Israel that is Numbers 15, 32 through 41. They have these blue tassels. They have these knots on them. They think it has something to do with the law, the commandments. They are correct about that, but it also has something to do with blue. And he explains it, the meaning of the blue Tassels and why he commanded Israel to do it in the first place, which then will finally explain 
the mystery of the evil of the man gathering wood. Mark 5.29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Work that through. Think about that. That woman, this woman felt in her body, in her tent. The hole in her tent has been repaired. I just repaired, restored. What did that feel like? Obviously, it was obvious, which means she knew as soon as she grabbed it, that feeling hit her. She put the relationship. Just think about this lady, what she has done. She was physically affected the instant she touched that blue tassel. Wow. Imagine the joy she had. Was she happy she was healed? Yes, she was happy she was healed. But I'm going to say to you, there's more than just that here. She was delighted, thrilled that she had figured it out. She figured it out. No other blue tassel on no other talent would have had this result, only the talent of Christ, and she figured it out. It's like finding something that no one had ever seen before in Scripture, and you get it. And you're right. What a great feeling of joy she had. Now to clarify, by the way, is anybody touching a talent anywhere in town or anywhere in the world and getting healed of anything? No. Quit. Not happening. Only the talent of Christ. Now to clarify, the talent of Christ is a symbol. The power to stop the bleeding did not come from the tassel. It came from him. It was her faith, her belief in him that saved her soul. She knew that this was God. His power that cleansed her, healed her. Her belief in who he is was manifested in her knowing that touching his blue tassel was her confession of who he is. She confessed her belief that he is the I am, that he is the creator God. She was touching the garment of God and she knew it. And what tremendous joy that is. She was right. And she also knew that if she made it, God would stop her bleeding. And he did. And again, Christ, by asking who touched my blue tassel, confirms her reasoning of the bleeding woman. The crowd is told that she had solved the great mystery of Numbers 15:32 through 41. Okay, got all that? Three minutes to go. Why blue? Blue has to signify Christ somehow. Why blue? It's been long understood that blue has a connection to life. The Jews, again, say that it is the light of life. Earth is a what planet? What do we call Earth? The blue planet. Fermi's paradox, right? Fermi said of all of the information, all of the bodies, all of the mass, physical material in the universe, there is only life here. He's right. There's only life here. Blue is only here on earth. Ask why. What does that mean? If that's true, what does it mean? At Exodus 25, 1 through 9, God asks Israel for a willing offering. He said, I, I want you to be willing. I want everyone who gives me this offering to give it to me willingly with his heart. And one of the things in the offering that he wants is blue Thread. 
He wants blue thread. What's he want from you? What's he want from me? He wants blue thread. Willingly, he wants it. You can put that together without me, right? Don't give me the offering unless you give it to me willingly. And I want blue thread. What's blue, purple, or crimson thread? The blue comes from a rare shellfish. The purple comes from a snail. The crimson comes from what? The worm. That's Jonah's worm. That's why Christ on the cross says, I am the worm of Jonah. Because it's a red worm. That's where you get the color scarlet or crimson from, if you're Israel. God placed these threads into his sanctuary within the tent of Moses, within the tabernacle of Moses. That's what he took with the, that's what he did with the offering of the blue and the red and the purple. He put it into his, his sanctuary, his holy of holies. Blue is designated for the talit. Of the blue, of the purple, of the red, the one that goes in the talit and the fringes is the blue. Remember forever the blue tassel. Remember the wickedness of the man gathering wood because it is the absolute opposite of the blue tassel. Blue, purple, red. Obviously, Jesus Christ is depicted in each color individually and then collectively. The woman recognized Christ as the one of whom the blue tassel spoke. She could figure out that this is the man, this is the one, this is the opposite of the man gathering wood. He's the blue tassel. Christ is the blue tassel. Reach for Christ. And his power does what? Transforms you, heals you, cleanses you, resurrects you. His life flows from him to all who come to touch him. Do you ever have to really touch him? He zaps you before you get there, doesn't he? His life is the only life. There is no other life anywhere except on the blue tassel guy. And there is death in gathering wood. Blue tassel is life. Gathering wood is death. How dramatic was that? Let's do it again. Four people woke up. Fantastic. Let's rise and be dismissed.